0: prayer as we uh, get started. Father, thank you for being a good, good father. Uh, God, for those of us in, in this room this morning or, or watching online or wherever we're at, where you hear or see this, uh, it's a hard truth sometimes to think about you as a dad. Uh, but Father, thank you for being not an extension of our earthly dads, but the perfection of them. God, thank you for being a God that listens to your children and hears us. God, thank you for being a God that uh, provides everything we need. Father, thank you for uh, promising to join us when we gather together. And so, God, we give you this time together, Lord, as we continue to worship you uh, through opening your word. As we continue to worship you through through, um, digging into these words that, that aren't just words on a screen or words in a book, but God, they're living and active, they're breathing. So Lord, I ask that you would allow the Spirit to meet us where we're at. Lord, that you would convict us and guide us to be more like you as we look at what it means to have Jesus be preeminent, to, uh, for Jesus to be above all else. So God, we give you this time, we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. This morning I want to look at not just a passage of scripture, but a passage that for us Christians should really just get us excited, but also get us to a point where we realize maybe we need to put Jesus in his proper place uh, and allow us to be in our proper place. If you're like me, it's really easy sometimes to take a little more credit for things in your life. Maybe, maybe you're like me and, and you find yourself getting to a point where you realize, oh, maybe, maybe I got this. And, and we have to remind ourselves at times that we don't really got this, that God actually got this. And so uh, if you're like me, this passage should um, come to life and help, help you or help I really just be thankful for this God we have and so we're, we're looking at the church of, of Colossae, the Colossian church, and this was a church that had a letter written by Paul to them, Paul and Timothy, and, and, but this church was not founded by Paul. In fact, there's a man named Epaphras. Everyone say Epaphras. Epaphras. This way, I'm not the only one mispronouncing it if I am. See, you did too. All right. So um, there's a man who named Epaphras who went to Ephesus. And Paul was there for three years teaching and preaching, proclaiming the gospel. And this man, Epaphras, was from a, a town named Colossae. And he was there in Ephesus where he learned about the gospel. He learned about this Jesus who came to earth, lived a life perfect, fully God, fully man, was, gave himself up, was murdered for our sin, but then he didn't just die. He actually rose again. He's alive today, in fact. And, and, and Epiphras learned this, heard this, and then he became a Christian. And he went back to his hometown, Colossae, and, and started a church. And Paul hears about this. Paul gets to know the story and writes them a letter because where we're going to pick up today, you see, uh, believe it or not, there's a time where people lied about who God was. Imagine that. There was a time where people started to say things about Jesus that wasn't true. There was a time—I uh, hope you catch on the tongue-in-cheek. Those things still exist today. But here in Colossae, they were dealing with heresy. They were dealing with this Gnostic thought of Jesus being different than who Jesus said he was. Um, you see, they found themselves hearing things like, "Well, you see, we're Christians." but we realize people are bad and God is good. And if Jesus is fully God and fully man, how can that be? Because man is bad and God is good, so Jesus must not have actually been man. Well, that's a problem. Or, or you know what, you know, no, no, I got it. Jesus was an angel. That makes sense, because he's kinda like a man, but he's kinda like God, and they found themselves hearing these things. And Paul here is saying, hey, hey, don't forget what you remembered. I know that sounds silly, but don't forget what you've remembered. You see, you've learned these things, and at times before, you've had to remember these truths. Let me encourage you to continue to remember those truths. And so that's where we find it today, and this text particularly, I enjoy, and so I thought, let's dig in together, all right? So we're going to pick it up in verses 15, and we'll just go to, we'll go to 20, and we'll, we'll deal with the, the rest of the passage in a little bit, all right? So... Uh, verse 15 of Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I like it. Let's go. So we see here he starts, the image of the invisible God. This word image is a word that we're familiar with in English, but in Greek it's the same, it's this word icon. It, it, it's the idea that this image or this likeness of another thing. If you were gone at war and you painted yourself or had someone paint a little portrait of, of yourself to, to send back to your family to remember them by, to remember you by, that would be an icon. That'd be the same word. And it's not simply a portrait of God. It's actually a revelation of what God is like. Jesus being a revelation of what God is like. Uh, it's not simply what God is like, but it's, if you want to see who God is, simply look at Jesus. It's this idea that, that uh, this word icon is to impre- an impress that's left on a coin or, or, or a signet ring on, on, a, on a dab of wax. It's this exact representation uh, Jesus is the exact impress of the essence of God. Paul is saying, realize that this invisible God, which we're going to get to why that phrasing is so important in a minute, the image of that invisible God is this Jesus. You see, the Gnostic heresy, would they believed that Jesus was an emanation or just this, this idea that this, this Jesus just kind of showed up and it's one rung of the ladder to the true God. You see, it's not that God's, or Jesus isn't like a good direction towards God, it's just that he's just one rung of the ladder towards God. And, and Paul here is like, no, 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 you don't, you're, you're not getting this, that he's actually the image of the invisible. This invisible God you keep trying to get through through all these different ideas and thoughts, you see, he is the image. He is the image. This not only tells us about Christ, but we can connect the dots, and they're actually it talks to us about ourselves because although Jesus is the image of God, he's what we're meant to be in terms of character um, because we are made in his image. See, the scripture says that you and I as people are made in his image. See, man is the icon of God, that same word, the image. Although sin has marred our image. And you see, being in God's image gives us a few things. We get to share a few things with God. One is we, get, we have rationale. We have intellect. Uh, we have emotion. We are able to have a will, and we can think and we can feel. Uh, we are the only thing created in God's image, which means we are those things in creation that have those attributes. But we're not perfectly in his image. See, we can't be holy without his holiness. And we have a tendency to sin because sin is in us. We are now guilty by being born. We're guilty. We're born into sin. In fact, David says <laughs> in conception he was, he was guilty of sin. You see, but Jesus is said to be the exact representation, that Greek word character, which of course sounds familiar to us, um, that character of God. You see, the image emphasizes Christ's relationship to the Father, But this next phrase, the firstborn of all creation, introduces his relationship to creation. The firstborn of all creation, that sounds like maybe he was born. It sounds maybe like he was someone who was birthed. um, And although he was birthed, his beginning was not at his birth. And you see, context matters. A man named Arius, and today uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses misunderstand this verse. And see, this is actually a proof text for those people. That, that see, this just proves that Jesus was not fully God or not God, or definitely not the God, because he was born, it says here in scripture. But we have to look at the context. You see, because in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, that's Jesus. Jesus eternal. firstborn is simply referring to a rank of honor, the highest honor, to be held in the highest regard Uh, We can see other places in Scripture, Exodus 4, for example, where, where God calls Israel the firstborn among the nations. Obviously, Israel wasn't first chronologically. But God holds and uses this phrase, firstborn, as the highest rank or honor. And that's important because we see that Jesus is not physically born first before all creation. Jesus is eternal, and that matters. But understand that Jesus, being God, is held high above all creation. And uh, when Paul calls Jesus the firstborn of all creation, he's saying that the highest honor belongs to him. And Christ is completely supreme in creation. And why is that? Because we see in verse 16, Uh, For in him, by him, sorry, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And this is this this amazing truth because we see here now that Jesus is the creator. I don't know what you think about when you think about creation or when you think about when God said light and there was light and God said, you know, animals and they were there. But it's this amazing truth that this Jesus is our creator. And it's funny because I have a three-year-old daughter who I love to read to. She's cute. She has curly hair. and She says all these cute things. And right now she just wants to read the Bible before bed. And I love that. As a dad, I absolutely love this. And so we've been reading this Jesus Storybook Bible. And it's this amazing, cool story where every single story, Old Testament and New, Jesus is the rock star. And I really appreciate that. And so it's really cool because the Bible does all point to Jesus. Um, and so we're reading about in Matthew 8 when, when the, the disciples are on the boat in the Sea of Galilee, which, uh, which you know, it's not fair because some of our friends are there right now, but um, Jesus is on the boat, and, and also these, these storm, the storm starts, starts wigging out, and people on the boat are like, wake up, wake up, because Jesus is sleeping, because that's the natural thing to do is sleep on the boat. And, and they're, they're like, do you not care that we're dying? We are dying. And they wake him up, and he gets up and he just I just imagine him kind of like the bedhead, you know, and wiping his eyes and just kind of shh not only to the men, but to the waves and the wind, and it stops. Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obeyed him? And it's so funny because it's through reading that little kid's Bible story that I of course they listen because they recognize their creator's voice don't just remember his name they remember his voice this creator i don't know how you think about creation but we see here in scripture jesus the creator so why is he supreme above all creation because he is the creator he's the one who made him and all things or says not only that but it says thrones dominions rulers and authorities and we can lose that in english to be realized that, that this heresy about Jesus being an angel, Paul says, no, 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 no. You see, those four words are classifications of angels. And the last two are the highest rankings of angels. Paul's like, if he's not an angel, he's over them. He's over the angels. And so whether it's thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, it doesn't matter what your rank is as an angel, there is one commanding officer. That's Jesus. And it says, all things through him and for him, and all things spring forth at his command. And we see in Scripture that all things will return at his command. See, Paul expands his argument in the next verse in 17. It says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And now we move from this idea of Jesus, truth, not idea, of Jesus being creator and the firstborn of all creation to Jesus being sustainer. And that is just amazing because we see here that uh, the context is key. And so the tense actually does matter. And this perfect tense, it it tells us that he doesn't just sustain back then, but he continues till today. And so we have this Jesus who is continually sustaining all. It's this beautiful picture of of our God holding things together. And yes, that's true in creation, but that's true in your life and my life. This idea that, that this Jesus, who is who, our Savior, this eternal God, who is preeminent, preeminent above all, actually does have things, holds things together in our life. It's a wonderful reminder for those of us who feel alone this morning, who feel like maybe God's not near. This Jesus is our sustainer, not just in creation, but in our lives as well. And I believe it's here that when we dwell and stretch ourselves to consider who Christ really is outside of being our Savior, but eternal God, creator, sustainer, that we can grasp onto daily faith in him. You see, when we understand that he's our sustainer, it allows us freedom to desire to cling to him in daily life. If I know that he's going to sustain my situation or, or, or who I am as a man or, or my family, whatever it is, I'm much more apt to go to him to trust him with those things. That yes, the God who did create everything out of nothing does care about my daily life, that's a humbling and amazing thing. And I hope it's encouraging uh, to you today. There's a story that's kind of a funny one, and that's some time ago, a South American company ordered a, a printing press from the United States, and the, uh, you know after the, after the firm made the printing press and got it all together and you know they shipped it over and, and then they you know showed up in a big box and then they put it all together and got everything working. But the reality is is it stopped working very quickly. They, they, the smartest men over there tried to align everything, and they just couldn't get it to work, and so they, they, were, they were kind of nervous, and so they wrote back to, to the company and said, we've done everything we can. Please, please send help, and you know, this United States firm, uh, they, they, they understood the urgency, and so they sent the, the man who designed the machine, and so he showed up, and, and <laughs> they were a little skeptical because he was kind of young, and, and obviously wet behind the ears, and um, after it took some time, they got talking, and they sent a letter back, and they sent a, 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 you know, um, a message back to the firm and said, um, you know, your guy's a little young. Uh, we, we, would like to, we would like to maybe have someone a little more experience. And the letter was simply, that the, the, the United States firm simply sent back the, the, uh, the message. Um, he made the machine, and he can fix it. Christ not only created us, he sustains us, and we were made for him. And some of us get a little nervous that maybe God doesn't understand the situation. Maybe, maybe God doesn't, maybe he's not close enough. I don't know. Whatever it is that you and I wrestle with, uh, but he is our sustainer. He created us. He can take care of us. Um, and we are made uh, for him. In verse 18, he says, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. You see, Christ is sovereign over the church just as he's sovereign over creation. Uh, When we first believe and put our faith in Christ, we became part of the body of Christ. Consider 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into the body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. This idea that we are now alive in Christ and we are part of the body. One day we will join in his resurrection, as we sang about And he is the firstborn from the dead. And so once again, we can't see firstborn from the dead thinking about the fact that Jesus is the first one to rise from the dead. It's this idea of the highest rank or honor. In other words, this is another way of thinking about it. Jesus's resurrection is the one that truly matters. You see, because of Jesus's resurrection, we can have faith that we will then be able to join in his resurrection one day. If Jesus doesn't beat death, who does? We don't. You see, we get to we get to celebrate and, and look at his resurrection as, as, as a proof and, and an exciting fact. Uh, we then one day get to join in life in him eternally. Uh, in 19 he says, For in all him, or for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Once again, Paul's word fullness is a direct attack to the, to the Gnostic heresy that was taking place. You see, they would use that same word, pleroma, uh, which actually was in, designed to communicate the, the totality of the thousands of divine uh, emanations or lesser gods. You see, they would use that word to insinuate that there's all these other gods that we can understand. You see what Paul says? No, no, no. The fullness... That word fullness means the totality of those divine powers and attributes you're talking about are, are found in Christ. Once again, that one man. This Jesus reconciles all things. You see, creation suffered a curse. and So did man. And that's because of sin. We find that in Genesis 3. And this verse says that, we, that Christ has made peace by the blood of his cross. And the ironic thing is there's nothing peaceful but dying on a cross. You see, there's a lot of facts that go in uh, to dying on a cross. It's not, it's not fast, it's not quick, it's not painless. It's quite embarrassing. Oftentimes, uh, you're hung naked publicly. In Jesus' case, we know he was beat to a pulp. It's ironic to make peace by the blood of the cross. Paul wants to remind us, I think, that uh, by Jesus, eternal God taking on flesh, humbling himself becoming a man and then dying the way he did it reminds us that our sin costs something and this reconciliation which is just a fancy word for saying the relationship was really bad and something has reconciled it meaning it made it really good that Jesus making our relationship with God good it wasn't cheap (laughs) and this Jesus that that Suffered and died for us has now made peace through his cross. And I just, I, I think that we can see there that reconciliation to God is, is really explicitly a one-sided process. We didn't do very much in this. I, I, really, God has done everything. It's our job then to respond. So I think we can see who we are in light of who he is and what he has done for us. And then in verse, um, verses 21 Uh, to 23, he says, Now, and you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. He joins these two together, that now you, the reader, us, were once alienated, separated from God, and you were hostile in mind, and you're doing evil deeds. It's crazy because this word used for alienated" is an unusually, it's an unusually powerful word, and uh, it, it indicates the persistence and permanent condition. In other words, you're not just kind of temporarily estranged. you're stuck. You're stuck, separated apart from God. And that shows us the natural state of who we are. <laughs> Away from God, alienated from God, we are hostile. We are naturally doing evil deeds. We like to sugarcoat and say it's not that bad, but we are. It's not as bad as the other, but it is. And without God, away from God, we have that issue. We have that tendency and that reality. But there is a but, and I appreciate that. He says, but now he has reconciled you, in verse 22, in his body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This beautiful truth that when we are reconciled to God, we are no longer separated, alienated, hostile, doom and gloom. We, have now, we are now reconciled, which means he presents us as holy. Once again, we are not holy without his holiness, without his giving us his holiness and blameless. And I don't know about you, but I have a lot of things in my life that I could be blamed for if God wanted to take care of me right now because of the sin in my life, he could. And that's true of all of us. We are not blameless. But when we are reconciled through faith in Christ, we're presented as blameless and above reproach before him. In verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul here is not doubting their commitment or if they'll continue in their faith. He's trying to communicate that the gospel does not just work like magic. The gospel is just not, there it is. Uh, the heart and the mind must be involved. Uh, this idea that it's one thing to know a lot about our faith, it's another thing to let it transform our hearts to, to live that out. Knowing about God isn't that impressive. We can read in Scripture that, that all creation knows about God. Other parts of Scripture, we can say that the demons know about God. They believe in God and they shudder. It's this idea that our heart and our mind work together and, and that through a transformed mind and our heart aligned with his, life change happens. And so we, we are to love God and earnestly seek after him with both our hearts and our minds. And so taking this understanding that this preeminence of Christ, this God who came, who dwelled, who lived, who made everything, who cares about the big and the small, what are some application points? Let's conclude with these. Uh, who Jesus is actually matters. <laughs> who Jesus actually is, it really does matter. You see, if he's an angel, like they would have heard, if he's simply a man and not God, like they would have heard, uh, our faith is not legitimate. <laughs> uh, we we're following a bunch of lies. You see, we believe God is, is fully God, full, or Jesus is fully God, fully man. And he's not a, a created being, he's eternal. Uh, number two, because Jesus is who Scripture says he is, our lives should reveal our faith in him. If we follow Christ and we claim Christ, our lives should reveal that truth. And number three, our sin devastated God and our fellowship with him. God ended up paying dearly for you and I to have a relationship with him. And in light of that, I have to ask the question to all of us. What is it in our lives that we still need to give lordship over to Jesus? If he really is supreme over everything, if he really is preeminent, then he deserves everything. Everything you and I have to offer. He deserves our attention, our focus. He deserves our trust with our families, with our marriages if we're in that boat, with our career, with our time our energy, with our love, (laughs) what we put into our minds, what we put before our eyes, our attitude, the disciplines we have in our life or don't have in our life. Jesus is Lord over all of that. And if he is who he says he is, who scripture says he is, which he is, he deserves it all. Christ is preeminent in our lives and as believers, it should reflect that. My prayer for us this morning is that we may continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, as Paul said, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that we have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which we have become ministers. Would you pray with me? God, this morning as we just take a look at at just a chunk of a letter written to, to a church that desperately needed to know who you were. Desperately needed to be reminded uh, of the truth of who Jesus is. God, uh, may we today glean from those, those words. Lord, for those of us here this morning who um, are wrestling with this idea of giving Jesus our whole life. Lord, would you meet us where we're at? Would we recognize that, that this creator loves us dearly? Father, that you love us dearly, so you sent your son Jesus to make a way to you. God, sin screwed everything up, but but you allowed a way back to you. God, thank you for that. Lord, I pray that the things that come to our mind this morning, that maybe we are holding on to, God, things that we we trust you with mostly, but not entirely, God, that we would come before you humbly and, and trust you enough with those things. God, if we're here this morning, we're still wrestling with faith in you or whether or not you truly are there. God, I pray that you would make yourself known. God, change their hearts like you have mine. Invade their space like you have mine. God, we give you praise that you are, uh, praise for, for you being preeminent. We thank you that you are above everything, that you are Lord over all and that you are a good God that we can trust. Give me the rest of this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.